0: Hopefully the message today might be an inspiring um, word from God, and I I don't say this much. If I do say it, I say it too much, so it might not mean anything, but I I really believe that today's message um, might be one of the most important messages um, that that I've ever uh, attempted to preach. Um, I'm not going to say it's the most important you've heard, because you've heard a lot of important messages from a lot of important people, Um, but uh, hopefully this might rank up there as an important one, um, as one that hopefully... um, can change our direction um, and make a difference in our world and maybe change the world direction as well. So if you've got a Bible, I'd like for you to find a place. It'll be a few minutes before we read, but Acts 11 is going to be our text today. And God led me to this text a few weeks ago, um, really earlier than He usually leads me to a text if I'm not in the middle of a series or a study that it, you know, you can kind of tell where we're going. Um, this is one of those uh, kind of a one-off message that uh, I, remember, I began pre- preparing for a couple of weeks ago, um, and I originally intended on, and I had this message, uh, I wanted to preach this message last week because I thought it would be appropriate, um, and, and would, would really get a conversation started that we need to have. Uh, but, but God otherwise uh, led me last time. But I'm thankful um, for the extra time that he, had, uh, that he gave me to learn, uh, the extra time that God uh, used to teach me and to speak to me. And, and, and this rarely happens, um, but God impressed a single word on my heart. Um, as I begin to read this text over and over and over again. And um, I think this single word captures the message, and it's our title of the message. It's the word beyond. Um, And you'll hear that word a lot as we build up to our text. And I really believe that this chapter and this message is going to call us to step out beyond where we thought we could go, beyond what we thought we could do, beyond even who we thought we could be, beyond our limits into His amazing opportunity that He has given us, that He gives us every single day. And I think this is the beginning of something awesome for us as a people, for you as a believer. Um, This is perhaps one of the most underrated texts in the Bible. And and for some reason, it's one of those chapters that you don't hear talked about and held up as super important. Um, You could probably name 20 chapters of the Bible that are very important or that are taught a lot. And this would not be in that top 20. It may not even be in the top 100, but shame on preachers for not making this at the top of the list. And I hope maybe going forward, this can be one of our uh, go to chapters and one that we return to and say, wow, I'm so glad that God has spoken to us from this text especially. Um, but I want to talk um, a little bit up front about why it's so important uh, pertaining to the church in its day, but also pertaining to the church in our day, and it may be hard to imagine, and and you may think, well, this is impossible, but this chapter deals with the early church at a super important, crucial time in its history. Um, and, And it's hard to imagine, but even just a few years in, I mean just a few years in, the church was already at a crossroads. And I think we can learn a lot and relate to this text because all these years later, I believe the church is at yet another crossroads. Different, but not so different if you think about it. And I, and I think we can learn a lot, and it's different. Um, but as we unpack it, we'll begin to see similarities from what they were facing. To what we face in our own day, and let me kind of set this up for you, and hopefully this will get everybody engaged and, and, and help us kind of sort to chart our course, but around forty a d around forty a d the church was already at a crossroads in the in the conversation that they were having internally, what is our purpose? What is our mission? What is our objective? What is our obligation as a church? What are our goals? The church was only a little less than seven years old. But this was already a conversation they were having. You think, well, how in the world? Why in the world would they be already having this kind of conversation? How could they be confused so soon? How could they be conflicted as to what their mission was so soon from the beginning? In just a few short years, the church had exploded onto the scene. And it was obvious to all those involved, they had the hope of the world. They had the information. They had possession of the keys to the kingdom of God. And even though it was just a small corner of the world even though it was a small group of people who the rest of the world had not even heard about yet and thought were very insignificant these group of people these few thousand people in Israel in around Judea in Jerusalem they knew they had something that was going to change the world or it could change the world if they went to it they already it was brand new to them but they knew Even against opposition, even against threats, they had this sense of alt. They had this sense of obligation. And and, and when probed, when pressed, that people would say, "Why are you doing this? I mean, we killed your leader, and you're still preaching in his name. Why are you risking your lives to preach a man? uh, 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 Preach that this man is the Messiah of, of your nation? When we killed him, and we're threatening to kill you, and their their leader." Not a professional at all, but a fisherman. Their leader, Peter, confessed famously, we must obey God rather than man. Guys, I understand that it might seem seem strange that we're preaching the name of Jesus after y'all killed Him and are threatening to kill us and have persecuted us and are going to persecute us. But guys, we don't have a choice. We must. We have a sense of obligation, a divine necessity to preach His name. But Peter, not far after, not long after, would, would have his own determination tested. And here's what happened with the early church. Because as, as determined as they, was, as they were to reach their community, as determined as they were and as zealous as they were to reach their brothers and sisters in the community of Judea, as they began to consider what was beyond the borders, they began to wonder how far they were willing to go. Their must was, would be challenged by their mission when the church faced its first major hurdle. And it wasn't persecution, but it was expansion. And you see, and, and probably this isn't news to any of you, but the church began as an exclusively Jewish movement. And many intended for it to remain and always be an exclusively Jewish movement. And this isn't strange to us. This isn't, you know, uh, 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 foreign to us. We know that the church began and came to be out of the nation of Israel. Uh, and they were Abraham's people. They were, mo- they were under Moses' law. They were a part of David's dynasty, right? And everything that the church believed was rooted in the Old Testament, which was not referred to as the Old Testament by the Jews. It was referred to as the only testament, Right? Their entire worldview, their entire foundation was the Jewish law, the Jewish kingdom, the Jewish family, the Jewish traditions. They had no concept of a world beyond the borders of Judea. Jesus was very much heralded as a Jewish Messiah. It's all over the Gospels. He's called the son of David. He's compared to Moses. He's compared to Elijah. And there's no mention or consideration of anyone else but Jews in and around his movement. Yes, there are bystanders that admire Jesus, but overall, the entire context for his ministry and movement was rooted in Israel's heritage and religion. The backdrop for his message was the Jewish law, was the sacrificial system. It had everything to do with the Jewish faith and the sacrificial system that they, were, they, were, they were, uh, had a part of their worship. It wouldn't even make sense to people that weren't Jewish. Most would contest. But there were, however, a few that seemed to believe that Jesus had come to do something that would reach beyond Israel. Most wondered if this was only hype, but there were breadcrumbs along the way. And at the beginning of one of the Gospels, one of the writers actually tells us and foreshadows that this was not just for Israel. This was not just for religious people that were born into it. This was for everybody. At the beginning of John's gospel, here's how John introduces Jesus. These things were done in Beth beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who, guess what guys? He's not just here to take away the sins of Israel. He's not just here to take away the sins of Abraham's people, of Moses' people, of David's people. He's here to take away the sins of the world. People thought, well, that's just him being you know, outlandish. Of course, it's only Israel that will benefit from this. Jesus, of course, would go on to die. And according to his closest followers, according to eyewitnesses, he rose back to life three days later. And before long, the whole town had felt and heard the good news because his followers, once afraid and scared of what might become of them if they remained associated with the man killed for treason and heresy, they were now emboldened and empowered with fearlessness. Something had changed about them. It was as if their faith in Him as Messiah had changed them. It was as if His death and His resurrection had changed them. And it had. Of course it had. His death brought them forgiveness. His resurrection brought them new life. Their faith made it personal. God was with them and would never leave them. Jesus told them that it wasn't just for them to revel in, but they were to spread this good news. But He told them clearly. This wasn't just good news for Jewish people which had an expectation for a Messiah. This was for the whole world. They thought that they were on the edge or the precipice of the kingdom of Israel returning or coming into its full glory. And prior to Jesus' ascension, they came to Him and said, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? To Israel, as in to nobody else, because this is going to be us against them, and we're going to win. And Jesus comes back at them and says, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Now, here's a very important thing that the words you there, they're not singular, they're plural. So Jesus is not talking to individuals who can do individual works of power for their own self-gain. He's talking to the people. He's talking to the church who are going to be empowered to go on a mission. So this is why we need to pay attention. Because this is something that we have been commanded. And we can't do it on our own. And this isn't about what we can do for ourselves. This is about what we are called to do for His kingdom. You will be my witnesses. I'm going to continue to put fuel in the tank for this reason and this reason only, that you might be my witnesses. And guess what? You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem? Well, of course, Jerusalem. It's our backyard. Judea? Of course. Judea, it's our country. Samaria? Whoa! Well, I guess we've got some Jewish brothers and sisters who have moved into that part of town. We'll make sure we go and help them get back to where they need to be. Because, of course, you don't mean we should actually talk to Samaritans because they're not even religious or Jewish people and they don't even know who Yahweh is and they don't even follow the law. So, of course, you're not saying go to Samaritans. You're to go to the ends of the earth. Well, of course, there are Jews everywhere. There are Jews who have been scattered around the world. So I guess we should probably go to the ends of the earth to make sure that we reach every Jew. Because they'll understand. They'll expect. And Jesus is not saying that at all, right? He's saying whether people are looking for a Messiah, deep down everyone needs and wants one and the message of the one would speak to this need and spark a resurrection within every heart. And in the early days, the disciples went to their hometowns, their backyards, down the road, across town. And the church grew, but only within its Jewish culture and context. And you have to understand, they had grown up in a world, in a religion, where there was one epicenter of worship. The temple. The temple was where all activity revolved and flowed out of. So while the church was leading people to Jesus around Judea, they were weary of launch of launching locations for worship and hubs for ministry. They were weary of building these little communities, of building satellite churches anywhere besides Jerusalem because they were just used to this model where there was one building and one, act, one house of worship and one headquarters. They were not so comfortable spreading the model. But this was not the age of the temple anymore. This was something brand new. The eight, in each Jewish towns, there were these community centers called synagogues where Jews would gather for prayer and would hear from the Torah and would uh, get insight as to what was going on in the temple. And as more and more Jews came to Christ, these synagogues began to be meeting places for Christians, but still, Jerusalem called the shots, and they weren't willing to share the name church with any location but their own. It was as if God was confound to their four walls and would always be. During the same time, the persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem, so many Christians ran for their lives. Some of them went to neighboring countries like Samaria, Ethiopia, and Syria, even as far as Turkey. There was one persecutor who became a Christian who was not accepted at the Jerusalem church and was encouraged to go home and study about Jesus, but they didn't really want someone with blood on their hands in their community. (laughs) They didn't think they'd ever see That guy, again. The church in Jerusalem would not budge. There was only one of us. We're not going to sanction or start another. So here's what we've got going on. We've got growth and persecution. Christians are multiplying and spreading far and wide, but the church was standing still. It was a very unique time for Christianity. Clearly the message was working, but would the church work beyond Jerusalem? That was a legitimate question to ask. Would this model, would this movement, would this community, can this work anywhere but where we can control everything and make sure everything is the same as it's always been? Insiders curiously thought, we aren't sure about this. Outsiders eagerly ask, we won't in on this. So here's where all this gets interesting. Peter, the same guy who seemed determined to do whatever and go wherever, was standing at this crossroads. And he could see the whole world in front of him. He knew that he was on the precipice of something way beyond himself. But you got to remember, Peter was proudly Jewish. He was reared and raised to be the best Jewish believer possible. With that came a lot of positives, but also some potential negatives. The positives were that he was primed and ready to be uh, for a Messiah to walk into the world. And when he laid eyes on Jesus, he knew it did not take long for him to proclaim he was the Christ, the Son of the Living God. He was the first to confess and was quick to remind people if they had any doubts. Peter preached the gospel on opening day and led many Jews who were make pilgrimage to the city. He led many Jews to Jesus. He shared the good news with Jews who. The the temple had turned away, and he got arrested for it, but he refused to back down. He would not shut up about Jesus. Under Peter's leadership, the church took the message all over Judea. And with hundreds filled with zeal and boldness, it didn't take long for the whole land to be covered with missionaries. But as the message spread, many who heard weren't Jewish. Jewish. A man from North Africa became a Christian. A man from Samaria became a Christian. Even though they were not Jewish and had never heard of Abraham, Moses, or David, when they heard of Jesus, something changed inside of them. God, taking skin to show the world and taking on sin to save the world, didn't need any Jewish context to bring hope to whosoever heard, it turned out. Suddenly, Gentiles were asking and seeking to know more. But under Peter's leadership, they could ask and they could seek, but the church was not going to move towards them. The church wasn't going to budge. Why? You see, Peter's Jewish faith had sheltered him. And according to Jewish, uh, Jewish law, Jews were not even supposed to eat with Gentiles. Let alone enter their house. Let alone invite them to worship with you. So even though Peter heard Jesus say, go to the world, he took this as, go to the Jews around the world. But one night, everything changed for Peter. As God was giving revelation intended for Scripture, God spoke to Peter in his sleep and he gave a clear instruction to Peter, gave clear instruction to Peter that they were some Gentiles who had heard a little about Jesus that needed to hear a lot about Jesus. And God was asking Peter to go and have dinner with these Gentiles and share the gospel with them he would have to travel way up north to a place called Caesarea. You'll remember Caesarea is where Peter made that famous confession. It was there that Jesus proclaimed what this meant for the world. It was there that Jesus gave a teaser of what the church would be about. When he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Peter shared the gospel with that family. And the Holy Spirit filled them as He had filled every Jewish believer. And Peter knew this changes everything. There's no going back now because this is not just for us, this is for everybody. Peter knew the church had to step beyond its comfort zone if it was ever to fulfill its complete purpose. So Peter calls for a meeting, and believe me, as many meetings, as many were calling for him to have a meeting with them, there were so many questions. Gentiles and Jews were so different. And within Gentiles, there were so many diverse cultures. How in the world could the church spread to so many cultures and deal with all the differences? How could they ensure that everyone dressed the same and sang the same and believed and behaved exactly the same? Everyone was on edge. No one knew where this would go. Many were scared. Most were worried. The idea of a church for everyone was beyond them. And it's here I want to talk I want us to take a look at our Bibles and read how this meeting begins in verse number 1 of chapter 11. Now the apostles and the brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the Word of God. And Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision or Jewish people contended with him saying, you went into the uncircumcised men and ate with them. How dare you? How dare you open up, open yourself up to unbelievers, unclean foreigners? Well, did you hear the part that they became Christians? No, 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 no. The fact that you ate with uncircumcised, unclean Gentiles, Peter, we can't get past that. You should have never done that. It's from there that Peter explains to them. In order from the beginning. So Peter goes on to explain to them that he had a vision where God used, God used a, uh, some animals to show him that he could not turn away from the world. He could not turn away from Gentiles anymore. If the church was ever going to be effective in and obedient to the Great Commission, nothing could get in the way of reaching people. Here's where we got to talk a little bit this morning. Because Peter had a prejudice. He was racist. Jews did not like Gentiles. They were trained to be racist toward anyone who was lighter skinned than them. But that's not the only thing that holds the church back, is it? There are prejudices, there's arrogance, there's indifference, there's prejudice that says, I don't like them, there's arrogance that says, I'm better than them, there's indifference that says, I don't care about them. What are we going to do with that? Isn't it true that so many churches are held back by these things? Isn't it true that we cease to be on mission because of these things? I mean, if it could stunt the early church, God God knows it has stunted us in our world today, hasn't it? So we have been called to fight prejudice with love, fight arrogance with compassion, and fight indifference with outreach. And that's what the church has been called to do to be intentionally to be intentional to, to be on uh, to be a part of intentional grace-driven sacrificial and persistent ministry Peter goes on to explain the outcome of his obedience to God and this was more than just having a worship service this was about going and serving look at verse 11 At the very moment, three men stood up before the house where I was, was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. The Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. And he's talking about his encounter with those Gentiles. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house, who said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you shall baptize with the Holy Spirit. And this is Peter. You know, Peter put his foot in his mouth a lot. But this is Peter's shining moment. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he has given us. When we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? Who was I to think I could and, and, and had any right to stand in the way of God? They received Jesus just like we received Jesus. They didn't even know about Abraham, Moses, or David, and they still received Jesus, which makes it even more impressive of the power of God that these people who were hungry and seeking and searching, and they found the hope of Jesus, and God saved them and changed their life. And as present as God is in our hearts, He is in theirs. So guys, we've got to have a big talk about what it means to go to the whole world. Because I think we might be standing in God's way. Every time I've read that, I've been rendered speechless. And verse 18 tells us, when they heard these things, they became silent. Wow, Peter. We never thought about that. Because you never went to anybody that it would apply to. Well, it never occurred to me that God might save them like He saved me. It never really dawned on me. They were speechless. They knew they were at a crossroads. They had in their possession the keys to the kingdom, the hope of the nations, the plan of salvation. They knew no boundaries, no prejudices, no restrictions could get in their way. They knew that God had a plan. They knew what the church was created to be. A community built around believers wherever believers came together for this purpose. They remembered the words of Jesus where He said, where two or three are gathered in My name, there I am among them. This meant they were called to go deep and wide. Nothing could stand in their way, but they knew they couldn't get in their own way. Because God was calling them beyond walls and pews and tradition to reach everyone with the hope of Jesus. If anything got in the way, they had to tear it down. If anything worked, they should double down. And if it stopped working, they had to figure out what would work. And they knew that exalting Jesus was too important to slow down. They had to continue to exalt Jesus. People are too in need. God is too worthy to settle for less. So from this point forward, they knew we can't get in God's way. Would you really want to get in God's way? I don't think so. If God's way is about reaching, saving, receiving people, anything that withstands or doesn't assist Him means we are either in the way of or headed away from God. that, that, That comes close to us, doesn't it? Let me read that again. If God's way is about reaching and saving and receiving people, welcoming people, anything or anyone that stands in the way or doesn't assist in His way, that means we are either in the way of or headed away from God. Being obedient to this plan of God would be complicated and messy, but it would be worth it. Peter knew from that moment as a leader, he had to be the tone setter. He could not stand in God's way. And as he returned to that place where Jesus kicked the movement off, it dawned on him, who am I that I should stand in God's way? Peter remembered Jesus saying that hell could not stop it. And there he was attempting to stop it. Ooh, right? That's That's heavy. Jesus said, Hell can't stop my church. And Peter said, You know what? I almost found myself working for hell, trying to stop Jesus. And I realized, What am I doing? Here in this meeting, their church was attempting to stop it. And he asked them, What are we doing? Guys, I've stood in God's way before, multiple times even, over and over again. I came back to this place. What am I doing? The same man that made this brilliant statement of faith had it in him to try to work against the very truth he confessed. We gather here and we sing we love Jesus, that we're the church we give, saying, Thy will be done. We pray over everything. We shake hands and smile. We hear the gospel presented and pledge to obey the word, yet so often we do things that counter our confession. We let sin remain in control of our lives. We allow pride and selfishness and conceit to hold our passion back. Our response is only appropriate if we as well become silent. Peter makes it clear, we've got to treat people like they're loved because they are. Because every time I needed bailing out, Jesus was there for me. Church, we've got to start taking serious the sacred mission we are on. The holy purpose we've been given. Because after all, the greatest hurdle to our mission was sin and it's been washed away. A gravestone that's been rolled away. So, what's, what could possibly hold us back? Sin and death. And guess what? They have been defeated. Amen. And here's where I want to interject and pause in our story and talk about us as we close very pointedly and specifically. We ourselves are at a crossroads all these years later. The church in the year 2019 is at a crossroads. We may not be held back by the same prejudices, arrogances, or indifferences, but we may very well be held back by something worse. Do we love the world like God so loves the world? Do we realize the same grace? Not works, not uh, you know, obedience, not nature, but we have been saved by grace, right? And the only thing that saved us was grace, nothing else. But the same grace that saved us can save anybody? Do we even care? (laughs) Maybe we've stopped loving. Maybe we've stopped understanding. Maybe we've stopped caring. Maybe we've never loved. Maybe we never cared. Either way, it's time we start loving and reaching and caring if we're going to be the people God has called us to be. The future of the world... And the future of our churches depends on it. There's Some stats rolled out the last few weeks that were not surprising, but they were startling. De facto church attendance has dropped over 20% in the last 20 years. You can't spin that in a positive way. It just has. Across the board, churches have struggled for decades now. It's finally called up to Baptists and Evangelicals, the ones who have been the exception to the facts or the numbers recently. There are a lot of factors where as social pressure, pressure used to bring people in, now it takes people away and leads people away. But here's where I, where I think we can take courage. Because as bad as the numbers are, and as down as baptisms are, and as many churches that close, and all the stuff that you can talk about that is bad news, here's the good news that we need to double down and focus on this morning. The keys to the kingdom still work. Amen? Right, The key has not stopped working. He's not changed the lock. The door is still wide open, He is still King, and the Spirit is still moving. And last time I checked, when Jesus told the church this, I give you the keys, whatever you bind will be bound, and whatever you loose will be loose. He hasn't said I'm taking that back. He hasn't said that doesn't apply to you anymore. He hasn't said that has stopped working. He says that we can still bring hearts and souls to heaven. We can still open, uh, we can still let people lay hold of heaven and let go of the world. Lay hold of God and let go of sin. What are, Our message has not stopped working. Our God has not stopped saving. The church has not stopped being important. This isn't a matter of the church being dead or doomed. It's a matter of our churches being faithful and obedient. This is not a... Nothing, has, nothing is wrong with the church. We can stop singing and stop worshiping tomorrow and the church will march on with or without us. Jesus is on a throne and He's preparing a banquet and it's coming soon and we're headed there. And whether we cooperate or not, it does not matter to Him. And the whole grand scheme of things. The church is going to be fine, but our churches may not. We stand on the precipice of the promised land. We can see it. We can take it if we follow His plan. If we go back and study the church across the ages, leaders who followed Peter's example refused to let anything get in the way. From Martin Luther, to those in our own age, to those before... Every few decades you can study history. Every generation has intense debates and arguments and meetings. Can we do this? Should we do that? What stays? What goes? And every biblical spirit-filled leader steps up and makes it loud and clear. Jesus is still enough. The gospel is premium. Scripture is our foundation. We just need to present this to our generation in a way that reflects heaven's power and heaven's passion because that's not went away. We need to present it in a way that brings about inspiration and conviction. Grace and truth. We could talk all day about what's wrong with the world today, but that's not our business to talk about. We, can, we, can, we need to talk about what's wrong with our churches. If Jesus is still the same God, what's changed with us? It may be that we don't care as many before us did. It may be that we're not willing to be personal as we should. We should. It may be that we simply don't believe in hell or eternal loss for those that don't know Jesus. When it comes to fall off from one generation to the next, parents don't bring their kids to church like they used to or once did. The kids that, are, that were brought are leaving as they grow up. So that begs the question, what are we doing or not doing to those that we have, children or adults? The solution is not to change what we believe or what we teach. Staying true to the Word is the only hope and chance of speaking to the desire in every heart. The solution is being true and authentic and genuine and faithful. I say confidently, we have not lost a generation, but we can't let this generation lose sight of us. We must face the truth and understand what faithfulness to Christ will demand of us. I argue with anybody from any outlet, the best chance to win the next generation is found on our grounds. If we'll be obedient. People are hungry. We've got the keys. Look at verse number 19. It says Now those that were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but Jews only. The church made a decision that they would sanction some startup churches in these three cities but they got a little cold feet as they went they were a little bit concerned about spreading the gospel to Gentiles in those cities we should go to the world but eh, maybe we should just talk to the Jews first but they came around this idea that Jesus didn't wait for the world to come to him so why should we so when the planners get there, they were a little intimidated by the different cultures. Instead of going to everyone, they went just to the Jews. But then something changed, or some people weren't willing to give up. Some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had came to Antioch, spoke to the Greeks, or the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. The news of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, which they got a little concerned and they sent Barnabas to go and check on Antioch there were a few there at Antioch that refused to let fear walk them back from their mission they pressed beyond their fears by faith Jerusalem got a little worried oh no this might get out of hand they might be doing crazy stuff out there So they sent Barnabas, and verse 23 says, when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all with the purpose of heart. They should continue with the Lord. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord under his leadership. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. Saul. Barnabas remembered a young man that seemed too out of place back in Jerusalem. He always felt bad for not accepting him. So he thought this church might be a place for men like him. So he called for young Saul to come and take root in Antioch. And I think we all know where this story leads as Antioch becomes a church founded on these principles of always reaching beyond perceived limits. Knowing that Christ had purchased the world, they just needed to hear the good news. Antioch would always be launching, never landing. And out of Antioch, the whole world would indeed come to know and hear the Word. Because of a team that Saul or Paul would go on to lead. And isn't it fitting how the story ends? When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was for a whole year. They assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christian in Antioch. Isn't that amazing? They became recognized as Jesus' followers thousands of miles away from their home base because they were being obedient to Him. Christian was defined by exalting and sharing Jesus. Beyond what feels safe or comfortable to what brings salvation and builds community. Church, our time is now to step up and rise up and reach our world. Maybe you've been holding back. You have not surrendered. You have not been living for Him or His church. And God is calling you to come. Perhaps you want to make a commitment to Jesus and be a part of this amazing movement. Trust me, He's already made a commitment to you. You've just got to trust Him and receive Him and you can be saved. Maybe you want to rededicate or recommit. Today is your day. Maybe you want to join and restate your commitment to this church as we move forward to what's next. Beyond ourselves. All for His glory. If you've ever found yourself standing in God's way, may we have that same revelation that Peter had. What am I doing? And maybe we're not, think we don't really stand in the way, but we're not helping. We're not assisting. Could it be that's just as bad? Isn't Jesus worthy of so much more? Aren't people in need of so much more? And we've got the key, don't we? If you don't have it, I pray that you find it today. If you do have it, I pray that you resolve to start leading other people to the same hope that you have. Let me pray for you. Father, I love you, and I'm thankful that you're honest about the heroes of the church, that one of the leaders, Peter, would say, I almost got in the way. Almost. Who am I to stand in your way, though, God? So they sanctioned a church plant that they thought would never work. And they brought in a team of people they thought would never make it. And that team of people went on to change the whole world. And we are here today because the mission and ministry of the Apostle Paul and the people like him that got a hold of the spark and did not stop. So Father, I pray that you would raise up preachers, teachers, evangelists, missionaries, raise up disciples out of this church that we might go to the world and know how important it is to show them what you've showed us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.